This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. As you can see, I am joined again by Dr. Alex Wills, the writer of Give a Fuck, actually, a book about emotional um, awareness, intelligence, and uh, some tips and uh, steps to take to help give a fuck, actually. So, Dr. (laughs) Wills, thank you for coming back on my show. Thank you so much for having me on again. And I know you're going to be on my show in the very near future. We got that rescheduled, yep. but thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Um, now, as my audience out there knows, if you've been if you've been following my content for about the last year or so, you know that I've gone in pretty hard on emotional intelligence and on emotional needs and the fact that these are absolutely vital to understand in yourself in order to be able to be sort of mindful and aware of not only your self and how you're doing, but how other people, you know, how you might react and respond and deal with other people who might be trying to manipulate some of those emotions uh, against your best interests. That's, of course, you know, what I talk about and do on this channel. I'm not about the happy side of life. We get into sort of the manipulative, nasty stuff. And emotions are one of the most powerful if not, as far as I'm concerned, the most powerful tool that a, that a manipulator or an abuser has to kind of mess with your world. And, uh, and unfortunately, we kind of easily can go along with it if we can be convinced that it's in our best interest or it's on our side or this is a good thing to do for some reason. And that's how people get involved in cults and abusive relationships and all kinds of stuff. So I think It is in our best interest to understand this subject as much as we possibly can, given how little we actually do know about all this stuff for real, right? We know enough that we can actually start start helping, though, and that's what this is all about. Um, And on that note, in fact, I wanted to, I was going to read a little bit from here, but actually, I think um, I just want to get into talking to Dr. Wills about this. So I will just quote from this recent movie that was out called The Whale. If you all haven't seen it, I recommend it. But there's a line in there that is really quite beautiful and quite beautifully spoken in the movie, which is that it is impossible for human beings not to care. We do. And so let's take a look at this in a little bit more depth and go over some things that, wait, what can we do about all this? First off, Dr. Wills, again, thanks for being on my show. What would you say, how would you go about describing or defining or telling people what are emotions? Thanks. And and that quote from the whale is just so good. You know, it reminds me that by the time that we've even had the thought, I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to give a fuck. We've already given one. Emotions are just happening in real time. And it's so important to recognize that fact to better make sense of reality and to ungaslight ourselves. So I find it really essential to define emotions as those pure emotions that our emotional radar antennas just pick up and just recognize that they are happening to us. We're sensing them and then separate out those emotions from the story. Because when you add a story, which may or may not be true and is oftentimes toxic or unhelpful at least, then you have a feeling. And that's what I pretty much deal with day in and day out with patients, uh, folks 
of all walks of life, folks that are coming out of different uh, cults or abusive religious structures. I ask them what their emotions are, and they start to tell me a whole bunch of feelings, a whole bunch of stories that are keeping themselves uh, locked in to some kind of a untrue reality. And their emotions then become the power that kind of keeps them in the prison because the emotions, if they see them as evidence that their toxic story is true, then you've you've won the game and you can kind of control their minds. Oh, that's that's so such a good point. Um and really the point that you just made there that I want to underline and emphasize in boldface is that the narrative, the story we tell ourselves and the actual emotional reaction are kind of two different things. Yeah. That's a little important because an emotional experience is this is in fact the key to manipulation of emotions is somebody else will convince you of a, a convincing story or narrative as to why you are feeling the way you are feeling. And if it makes sense to you, oh, well, that must be it. Yes. And that can be a trap. So I don't know any one line, easy solution to that. Emotions are complicated. We have a lot of them, even multiple ones in a moment. And reactions happen in the moment before you're really thinking too much about it. So I really can only help people with this, I think, by giving you reasons to second guess, be a little skeptical, think twice, be mindful, all these little terms we use for being self-aware and not necessarily falling for the first answer or the first explanation that comes your way as it has to necessarily be the right one. That being said, would we? Would you like to uh, maybe help me and the audience understand what are emotional needs? As different from maybe an emotional experience, there is this concept that we have needs that are connected with our emotions. What, what can you say about that? So I think of desires, emotional needs, preferences as another type of emotion. Mm -hmm. We might not know exactly why we desire this or that, it just sort of is part of an expression of who we are, or maybe our in our emotional wisdom, we realize that something's missing. And so we find ourselves craving or wishing we had something else. The flip side of every, what some people call negative emotion, I don't like to use the term negative emotions, but emotions that may be painful, sad, scary, hurtful, these emotions that we oftentimes want to fix or get rid of that are actually there to help us. On the flip side of all of those negative emotions is a desire, a, an unmet need. And so that's one of the ways that these painful emotions are helping us. They can help us tune into what we have missing. If we have uh, the example of loneliness, you know, somebody might come along to recruit us into their little cult group and they might tell us, you know, hey, you know, you're lonely and, and this is this is not good. And that's evidence that you need what we, we have to offer and they can kind of hook you in. However, if you're in touch with your own emotions and you realize that my painful, deep, intense loneliness, so painful, is telling me that I'm longing for connection. I'm longing for intimacy. I want to be having healthy relationships, sustainable relationships with people that I currently lack. And so then it becomes our motivation to move towards that. And we also can become immune to those 
cult recruiters that could try to hijack those things and use them against us because they're kind of wise to that and we're not. Exactly. That's where that emotional intelligence and, and that self-awareness is so important. Um, and even then, it's still a bit of a crapshoot sometimes, but at least it's put something there for you to really help, you know, condition, you know, break, be able to, uh, to break away from that stuff or spot the manipulation while it's happening. That's the best time is, is if you can spot it while it's happening. Um, but what, you know, when we look at emotional needs, we're looking at something that is more of a long-term, lifelong, you know, kind of more permanent state of things. Like this is something that, you know, sense of community or a sense of purpose or a sense of self or ego. And these kinds of things have been stated as emotional needs that sort of are always there, always in the background, always kind of that software is sort of always running, so to speak. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I like to major on sort of the basics. Mm -hmm. If we think of most of us are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we can get our basic needs for food and water and shelter met, and then get our other basic needs of relationship, safety, tribe, those things met, then we can kind of go on to those higher things like seeking after purpose and everything. So often what I tend to find is we don't have our very basic needs met. We don't have uh, secure relationships that are healthy in our lives. And so trying to help people figure out how to just get the basics met first, and then those higher level things are, are very important to seek after too. But we want to make sure that our foundation and our base is put together tightly first too. That's, that's a really great point and, uh, and one I haven't thought of making. So thank you very much for making that. What sort of things do you think a person might think about or look at or examine in, in reviewing their fundamentals or their basics in terms, of, in terms of those basic needs? I mean, obviously food, shelter, but emotionally, what sort of things would you start on with or, or look at as most fundamental? You know, relationships are key. I think you're really the expert on cults and those kinds of groups and how people get recruited. I think one of the main things is they prey on people who are disconnected, yep. people who do not have strong relationships with their family, their friends, their significant other, some kind of a tribe. And if we could really help people just to start with that, start to improve their own per network of personal relationships that are on the healthy side. So many of us are stuck in relationships with a significant other that are not exactly loving. They're, they're oftentimes a perversion of love. There may be some kind of narcissistic codependent dynamics going on. There might be coercion. There, there's, there's so much to explore to really, you know, if I can maybe create a checklist of how, how can we make sure that we have at least, you know, X number of healthy relationships around our, our core then from there, we can kind of spread out into other areas. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that especially in maybe modern times, although standards change over time or whatever, but it feels that there is an awful lot. Well, okay. For example, when you, when you look at a 50% divorce rate, that's been a standard for a good chunk of my life. And I think about something like that and maybe broken homes or broken up homes or situations where people don't have strong emotional, you know, foundations uh, built in, uh, in, in their early life. 
how does um is there a general sort of idea of how one goes about again thinking about or addressing this or things a person can do themselves to sort of go well yeah you know there were some problems growing up and i've got some emotional stuff there what should I do about that? You know, get therapy is a very generalized statement. Is there anything more specific people can do? Yeah. If we look around at the stats, people are so disconnected these days and it seems to be, you know, getting worse over time. A lot of times we don't even have real relationships. So many of my patients, they only hang out with their friends once a week and it's only through playing a video game where they can talk with each other on the microphone as they're playing the video game. People yeah. don't spend time close to each other. Kind of the basics. A lot of us have like a faux family where you go to see your favorite sports team play and you're all wearing the same colors and, and you get along with these strangers because you're all rooting for the same team, but you don't have really a deep personal connection with any of these people other than your mutual interest in having some beers and watching the game or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's, I think recognizing that that's a huge problem in society, that's a huge problem for each of us individually. I'm a pretty, you know, normal person with a family and I come from a good family and friends and all of that. And the whole reason that I really am here today doing podcasts and writing this book and all of that stuff is because I found myself incredibly disconnected. I was surrounded with everyone and yet so lonely I was not getting the type of emotional connection needs met that I really longed for. And everyone around me was nice and friendly, kind of go with the flow and, and, you know, great people. However, so much is lacking. And so recognizing that in your own individual life, and no matter how messed up our backgrounds might be, once you see that that's the diagnosis, then we can go towards the treatment, which is how do you build those connections? And you may need some coaching, you may need some help from a therapist, you may need to go to some groups, you may need to learn those skills. How do you make and keep these sustainable, positive relationships? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here we have you writing a book called Give a Fuck Actually. And I'm just going to completely threaten the monetization of my video here by continuing to repeat this word because I don't care because it's just the right word to use. But you also have, this was a, actually a bit of a reaction or a response to this whole concept and movement or push out there of don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter. Let it roll. It's no big deal. Let it go. Let it go. And as though it's so easy, as though that's the natural state of things for us to be that way, when in fact, that's actually very, that's a very unnatural way to deal with are the, the the vagaries and problems of life and our responses to it. What do you what, what are your comments on that? Yeah, you know, most folks are familiar with the subtle art of not giving a fuck, which I, I jokingly call the the subtle art of gaslighting yourself, meaning that if we do go around trying to pick and choose what we do have emotions about, which that book calls overrated, yeah, it, we feel pretty high and mighty for a minute. And then reality comes crashing down that we actually do give a fuck and that we can't suppress or decide what we care about and what we don't care about. And so there must be a better way. And I'm also concerned that that movement in society is really helping people to continue to be more and more isolated because, you know, now I can go to the gas station, fill up my car and go into the store. And if somebody tries to have a social interaction with me and I'm not in the mood, I could just be like, you know, I don't give a fuck about that guy. You know, 
I'm going to pay for my gas, get my lottery tickets. I'm going to go back to my isolated life. It's another way to just kind of buffer yourself from any meaningful connection with society and with each other. Ah, beautiful. Well, that all being said, I think we've, I think we've pretty much laid the case that we really should give a fuck (laughs) because it really is the, it's the natural organic thing to do. And I think that that's, I think that seems to be a little underrated these days. You know, our biology is not an option. It's, it's just not, if you know, if if, you got to eat, you got to sleep, you got to feel that's life. That's how it is. It's not a, it's not something to avoid any more than food is something to avoid. Yeah. You can put some controls in though. And that's, you know, what your book is about That's why I love it so much. So, so let's go ahead and talk about this for a minute because we do constantly run into undesirable emotional states and reactions. We have things happen to us every day that would drive us crazy, make us nuts, uh, you know, make us feel a little psychotic, even sometimes when we're really invested in something that is not going the way we want it to. Are there, so I guess my question for you is, are there any methods we could use to sort of trigger ourselves so that we know we need to take action or change course emotionally like oh i'm having an emotional reaction and instead of my response being denial gaslight myself it doesn't exist okay this might not be going in a constructive direction what could i do you know to change that right and by the way my podcast which is also called give a fuck actually same as the book actually goes into this with a guest. It's a bit of an experiment where, you know, when, when Chris comes on, if he's brave and courageous enough to share some personal examples, we're going to talk about some fucks that Chris would probably rather not have and how those are actually his best friends. And we're going to look at that in real time with curiosity. So I feel like a great way to learn about it is just kind of by example. I don't know, Chris, if you kind of have a just sort of a made up quick example of uh, when you or, uh, you know, if you can imagine emotional state that somebody can get stuck in that they'd rather not have. Uh, and that's sort of uh, just defined as a problem. And then maybe we could use that as an example ah, for right now. Great. Let me give you, let me give you a, a one right now, um, because this, this plagues me from time to time. And I'm totally willing to share this since I tweet about it all the time. <laughs> uh, and that is that I will see some um, some injustice in the world or more, more likely, you know, some kind of hypocrisy, some kind of nonsense coming from our government or our officials or somebody on the other side of the ideological spectrum threatening to, you know, ban all the books in Florida or something. And I, I start losing my mind a little bit over that kind of thing, both in despair and a kind of existential dread. And maybe those are synonymous, right? This idea that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and there is absolutely nothing I can do about it, but watch it go over the cliff. And, and, and I'm in that same boat too. And feel like I'm powerless to do anything about it or the actions I've taken or the things I try to do, you know, aren't really making a difference. And, and I've, I've already come to a place where I realize that when I get depressed and in a very existential dread, I am lying to myself and overemphasizing the negative, right? I definitely know that. But in the moment, it can be very, very hard to even be aware of that 
you know, that, that going over the cliff thing that I'm about to go do. And I wish I could pull myself back from that earlier. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's such a great example that we can kind of work through for a a little bit here. Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. So let's, let's take the example of all of this injustice, hypocrisy in the world and, and they're going to ban all the books, right? Yep. So the first step of radical emotional acceptance is to recognize that we have a anger shield. We have that righteous anger coming up. And so before we drop the fuck shield, before we get rid of that anger and say the anger is a bad thing, we should also have some curiosity because it's there for a reason. Something's happening. And by God, I'm pissed off about it. And I should be pissed off about it because it's outrageous. And so that's a good thing to tap into that anger that's telling us some truth right there. There's some good righteous anger that's getting us fired up and motivated to pay attention to what's going on. So the next step, of course, after we drop the fuck shield and look underneath and behind that anger, we can name those emotions. And a couple that you brought up, despair, existential dread, this feeling of hopelessness, hopelessness, those are just some really intense, pure root emotions they need no explanation it might be obvious why you're having them in this case but if you didn't tell me why you're having them i can still relate to you and have empathy as a human being because pure root emotions don't need any explanation at all so we're already validating the truth it's like yeah you had some anger amen that's really great to have underneath that anger you have some fear hopelessness helplessness despair existential dread And that's true. You're having that. You should be having that because you're having it. And it's as intense as it is because it's that intense. So far, we have done nothing, but we're just observing what's already happening. Mm -hmm. You get to step three. You listen to the fuck. You listen to the emotion. It's like, okay. So I'll turn it back to you, Chris. And I'd say, what wisdom, what deep truth do you feel like your emotions, these very intensely uncomfortable painful emotions are are telling you about the truth of the situation and on the flip side what desires going back to those emotional needs and desires are they making you aware of that we don't have met right now good point yeah okay good so i would think um about my hopes for the future my um you know goals uh, purpose, meaning, right? What what gives me purpose and meaning is the fact that the, my hope that the future can be better than the past and that we can improve and make things better. And that's, a, you know, a, a, a direct blow to that uh, by showing, you know, because the circumstances seem to be that things are going backwards and regressing to a stone age mentality. And that really bothers me a lot, having come out of a place where stone age mentality was the order of the day. So, you know, knowing what that mindset looks and feels and and sounds like, it, it disturbs me when I see broad numbers of people jumping onto that train because it tells me that there is a future of 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 potential civil unrest and issues and lack of education, and we're denying the future to these kids who might not be have access to this information. Just on that book banning thing, just on that alone, right? I. I right. You know, because of course, book burning and book banning is an age-old problem uh, that has been fought for centuries. And and there's a lot of people who have reactions like I do to this. I'm not unique in this at all. 
but it is, but I feel very passionately and very strongly about education and information and, and, and the free flow of these things. And, and so, um, so it kind of bumps right up against all my hopes for the future and tells me, or at least the reaction in my mind as it's interpreted is all those hopes are dashed and your goals are meaningless in the face of powerful figures who are able to take it all away just like that. Right. And so we're noticing how there are these painful, deep, frustrating emotions going on. And it also links into the story, right? That now we're into this story and it's, it's a very normal thing. Yep. In fact, it would be abnormal if you are having some intensely sad, depressed, down emotions, not to just naturally have what we call cognitive distortions where it's hard for us to see reality clearly. We're looking at reality through a funny mirror. And one of the classic examples is catastrophizing. We can only see that everything's going to end in chaos and catastrophe. There you go. And, and that's not a criticism, but that's just the norm of what we do feel like when we are having these intense emotions. So again, we always want to separate out the story and question it and say, well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe the story is not true. The emotions are true. The emotions are there. They're helpful. They're there for a reason. I'm having them because there is some core truth to that. And let's suspend or disbelieve the story. And then we can move into step four, which is based on our righteous anger, based on these painful emotions, and based on our desire, our desire to not have book burnings, our desire to not have chaos in the streets and have Holocaust and everything else that could happen. How do we creatively, this is when we get to tune into our creativity. Mm. How do we creatively use that emotional compass and that emotional wisdom to move towards with all of this energy that it gave us too, to move towards with giant steps or baby steps, what we do desire, right? Mm. So is this sort of an idea, let me make sure I understand, is it a kind of an idea of, of taking that, those, those emotions, those reactions, those very, very strong feelings and sort of, sort of directing into, okay, what can I do with this or push this in a direction that, or like, what, what, what exactly do you mean when you, when you talk about that last bit? Yeah, it's kind of this alchemy of turning these painful emotions into the desires of what's lacking mm -hmm. we want to have we want to have a better society we want to improve things we want to get rid of the ills that are going on we don't want to repeat history and getting a very clear crystal clear picture of what we do want and then we have all of this energy from those intensely painful emotions it turns into intense motivation to somehow move towards what we want and we might have a clear picture of what we want, some sort of utopia or whatever it might be for us. And we might not have a clue how to get there. And that, that's, uh, that's the problem we want. It's like we want to know what we want and we, we don't know how to get there. And then that's when you get into step four. Well, I'm going to use my creativity. I'm going to talk with people like Chris and we're going to creatively think of what we can do to come together to move in that direction. And that's the fun part. 
Okay, good. Excellent. That's a great point. I'll tell you exactly how that has manifested positively and negatively in my own life is in terms of the different reactions I could have is um, because I've done both is this existential dread and the despair and all the stuff comes in, right? You're railing against the reality of it. Oh my God, if the world was only different. And of course the world is the world. So you, you can't change that, right? But you can change what you do about it. And that's that's a great point because sometimes my when I'm in hindsight when I'm responding well or what I what I would consider uh, you know in a productive way to um, to such reactions it would be well if I'm being honest my work is making a very small but 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 it is it making a difference right I I touch people's lives I do things that help and so maybe if I just pour my energy into my work, then maybe, right, I could help some more people. And that's what I can be responsible for. That's the response I am able to do, responsibility, right? Right. To that situation. Whereas the negative, and this has happened too many times, I think, is nothing can be done about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This sucks. And you conclude immediately, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, right? So who who cares? Why bother? And this is where the lies, the self lies, right? The, the self-deception comes in of my channel's not helping anybody. Nothing matters. Nothing I've ever done has ever mattered. You know, that whole shtick that is very, very, can be very powerful if you let it, you know, run away with you. And um, and that that exact point of do I go down this dark path of apathy and despair or do I channel this feeling into something constructive and and useful that is truthfully objectively speaking more real and more honest it actually is true that I can and do help and I should be putting more of my energy in that direction but sometimes that negative nothing matters you know kind of thing can come along and it can be very powerful so so those are the two ways that that's kind of, um, you know, that I've dealt with that. And, uh, and I always, I always have, do end up getting back over to the channel part, obviously I'm still here, but sometimes that can take a day or two, you know, it could be really powerful sometimes those depressive episodes even. So, um, so I think that was, that was exactly the point that I was looking at there of, you know, how do we how do we spot that trigger moment there and, and make the positive decision or the decision that's really based more on truth? I would take it even a step further and reframe it as we want to get in touch with our emotional reality and we want to get in touch with our external and existential reality too. Mm. And that's, that's the place where we can make the best decisions going forward. So t- talking about going down that dark path, you know, during the darkest days of COVID, I had some intensely fearful emotions come up and I had the thought, the story that, you know, this could be it. You know, I, I always thought the apocalypse was going to be really swift and just bombs going off and yeah. not happen overnight, but maybe it's some kind of a slow kill going on. I don't, I don't know, but I personally, you know, came to terms with, you know what, the dark path that you painted that's a possibility that could happen. And no matter what we do, no matter how much we try to reach people, maybe, maybe we are doomed. Maybe it's going to go down that road and we can't do anything about it. That, that's a true possibility. 
And with the COVID stuff in my story, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe this is going to end up in World War III or something. God knows what's going to happen. And I, I might need to stop thinking about planning for the next 20 years, the next 30 years of life. And what about planning for the next six months, right? And maybe, you know, looking at, well, what if, if we possibly only have six or 12 months to live, what do I want to do with my time while, while I'm in this situation? And radically accepting that, like, yeah, we all want things to get better. We all want the world to, you know, go back into a peaceful state and to have progress in society and all that. But there is a chance that it might not. And accepting that too, without trying to fight it or fix it, and then still going back to step four. Well, considering all of that, what do I want to do? Do I still want to keep trying? Do I want to give up? Do I want to reprioritize my life and just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die? All of these are great choices. I mean, they're up to us to make as individuals. You can see that you decided to choose to, to soldier on and to keep trying to influence people and to help people. I've decided to do the same. And this is how we can maybe make the world a better place. And we do choose the good side, even though the reality is we might be fighting a losing battle. We don't know. That's why it's called a war, you know? That's right. That's exactly right. And I, I think that one of the most positive things that we have in our lives for me in developing these attitudes of resilience and pushing on and, you know, and that kind of thing comes out of maybe what some might consider propaganda. But for me, it was, you know, it's, it's the hero's journey. It's the stories, it's the narratives that we uh, are raised with. And I think these are, are vital for, uh, for being able to keep up, you know, courage and integrity and drive and purpose. Like these things matter. These mean something in our lives. They're not just, you know, some people really decry these things these days as, uh, you know, insignificant propaganda that was always just meant to fool us. And I don't, I don't look at it that way at all. I think that, I think these things can be incredibly inspirational in our darkest times and certainly keep me soldiering on sometimes, you know, when you look at these examples, heroes, you know, epic figures who, who are larger than life, who, who keep us going. So I think, uh, I, I don't know, that's just where my mind went when I started when you, when you were talking about that is like, yeah, what keeps us going in those moments is sometimes others leading by example, even going back to our childhoods, you know, I think that positive, and I guess I'm saying, I think that positive messaging is actually really important to our society and is not something that should just be cynically, you know, insulted or, or invalidated or thought of as fake or something. I don't know. What, what, I, I just kind of went there all of a sudden. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And what kind of came to mind for me too is changing our story from a story that we don't really like. If our story is that, well, we're going to go down one of two roads, a road to making the world better or a road to the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And that would be a very bad thing. We are only limited by our creativity. Now, I'm not really personally spiritual or religious at all, but I, I really do like, you know, my, my personal philosophy is I imagine, I like to imagine that this world and this experience is sort of like a video game, not to say that it's not reality and not that it's not consequential and not important, but the concept of we're all going to die, right? 
and we don't know how we're going to die. And we may die in our sleep when we're 95, or we may die fighting the good fight. And we, we have some say in how we, we go out and how the experience that we have. And so for me, it became a question of readjusting my values. Do I value a nice, peaceful, easy life? Do I just want everything to be easy and for people to get along? Sure. However, I also value reality and I also value making the most of the experience. So while none of us would have chosen an apocalyptic end to our, our universe, none of us would choose war, I'm sure. May, if that's going to be what's going to happen, and that's the reality, well, okay, that's what, how, how am I going to act? How am I going to go along with this next curveball that got thrown? What are my choices going to be in how I'm going to play my cards in this? And just keep going on with the game. You know, life's an adventure and roll with the punches instead of just sort of bemoaning like, oh, well, things are not going the way they should be going. You know, that's another should. And we want to question whenever we, we, we impose our shoulds onto things, even when it seems obvious, like, yeah, nobody would want that. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that last bit's a really important piece of advice for both uh, critical thinking and emotional intelligence. Um, because those, those sort what, what we used to call them in Scientology, the word for it was an arbitrary, mm. it was just an arbitrary decision or it was an arbitrary mandate or rule. It was something somebody made up. It doesn't really reflect reality. It reflects reality as you want it to be or how you think it should be based on your moral foundations, your upbringing, whatever. That, that's not really the important part. The important part is it's not really reality-based, but it's how you may go about interpreting reality. So it's very powerful for you. It's a very powerful force or motivator or, or way of framing things. You know, uh, Karma, for example, people can look at the world through a karmic lens and interpret events that way. I don't know that that's reality. I, I don't believe in karmic justice, but a lot of people do. And they'll interpret coincidences and disparate events as, as being connected because of that karmic reality. So just as an example, just as a, uh, you know, I know already I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing people the wrong way, but, you know, this kind of thing. Um, all very good points. Thank you for that. I like to tell people that I, I don't believe in magic. However, I enjoy pretending sometimes. Yeah. I know that there I don't believe there's karmic justice per se. However, it's fun to notice those uh, synchronicities and to notice those connections and so to, to wonder if it might be true. And but this comes back to the fundamental point that we get to choose our own story. We get to choose the story that's most adapted for us. And there's no reason it has to even be like the most serious of things. Like, I don't really believe the world's just a video game and I'm an avatar right now just playing along. And, you know, five minutes from now, I'm going to take off my headset and look at the my buddy next to me and we're just going to laugh and say, man, that was a fucking awesome 80-year video game, you know? <laughs> I don't believe that that's really the case, but I like to. It makes me happy. And you can choose whatever story you like that makes the most sense that gives you hope and helps you kind of, you know, get along and, and go towards your goals while trying to, you know, make the world a better place and following whatever it is you value, you know? Big time, big time. And one might wonder if you couldn't frame all human conflict as conflicting interpretations of reality, you know? 
and mm. conflicting arbitrary ideas of how it should be versus how it is. Right. Get into a lot of arguments over that stuff, which leads me to my next question, actually, which is we've been talking an awful lot this time about, you know, self, what one can do for oneself in the moment or over time with emotions and being more mindful and intelligent about them and how to deal with them when they come up. Now, what about when you are trying to help somebody else, right? Somebody else who's having an emotional experience, whether it's a down or a, a loss or, or a problem, or, you know, even if not something that serious or that horrible, but, you know, you want to intervene or you want to step in and you want to maybe wonder if you should, or what should I do here? Um, you know, any general advice in that direction? Sure. We usually are talking about applying the five steps of radical emotional acceptance to ourselves, and that helps us to get centered and to get in tune with our realities, our emotional realities, and to give us directions. If we can help a friend do that for themselves, or if we can help a friend make us aware of their emotional reality and their desires and their unmet emotional needs, man, that just awakens so much empathy within both of us. And then we can unite in a common cause because most of our desires are usually very similar. Most of us want connection. Most of us want intimacy. Most of us want love. Most of us want relationships that are sustainable. So helping your friend to practice radical emotional acceptance or, or simply really sincerely figuring out what their emotions are. A, a few moments ago in the example, Chris made us aware abundantly clear that when he thinks about the trouble in the world, he has some pretty strong emotions of despair, helplessness, existential dread, some fear come up. And that's universal. Like we can all get behind that because we can all relate to those core emotions. Exactly. Good. Perfect. Yeah, I think those I think that's really key to understanding the pitfalls of relationships and also bad relationships is can you understand each other? Are you willing to understand each other, even trying to understand each other at an emotional as well as intellectual level? I mean, because we don't make connections just at the brain level. We make connections at this emotional level and emotions are a whole body thing. I don't think they're just a, a brain thing. You know, I don't I don't think about consciousness and life and our awareness that way you know we are a whole system and uh and i think that's important to recognize with all of this and that but more importantly the connection point you know and uh i'm all about that really really <laughs> really about that um okay well let me ask you this so with just you just having touched on a bit of what we've touched on obviously i want to recommend your book to people and and uh and i and i will and i'll put a link in, in that you know, to that. Um, but what other, you know, what research, what other resources are out there for people? You know, when I say research, what research did you do? Or what other things, resources are out there for people who want to grow their emotional intelligence, let's say, or do better at this, have stronger, better attachments and relationships and, and understand the ebb and flow of that better in their own lives? Where, where would you direct people? Yeah, that's a great question. And by the way, I'm very, very humbled and thrilled to announce the book hits uh, number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list on Saturday. So very excited about that. Great. So, Good news. At the end of Give a Fuck, actually, I list out my top like 20, 25 books that were influential in helping me to form the radical emotional acceptance technique and all of that jazz. So. 
a couple of the books that come to mind that were really life-changing for me, there's The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. The, the Fifth Agreement's a great follow-up to that one. Byron Katie, Loving What Is, was a very great book to help us get in touch and accept reality. On the science side of it and the research side, the neurological side, there's a book called How Emotions Are Made to get a better sense of how emotions are in the body and the brain and how how that all works together and, and how much we still don't fucking know. We don't know, you know. It's really helpful to think about emotions as a phenomenon because we don't really, you can't put them in a beaker and measure them exactly. You can measure electrical activity in the brain and do functional MRIs, but it's still really best understood as a phenomenon because they are real. They do fucking matter. They're very powerful and they're pretty much the most important thing we have as humans, you know? Absolutely. Those are a couple of the book ideas, you know, I, it's been my quest to understand emotions my entire life because none of my professors, none of my mentors were really able to answer my simple question. Like what, what are emotions? Like what, how do we understand them? And, and I never got like a satisfying answer. So that's why I kind of kept digging and digging and digging these last, like, you know, 15 years on it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm on that train too. Uh, <laughs> got onto it from a whole different path. Um, but I am definitely on it now. It, emotions, I think, are absolutely crucial. I just don't think there's any way around it. And it was really something to start talking about this and hear some of my some of the feedback to the content on it being, wow, I didn't even know I had emotional needs. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, wow, are we starting from ground zero, you know, uh, from the first floor and having to build. And there's a lot to know about this. And I know everybody out there isn't going to dive into all these resources. But if you do have the time or you do have the inclination, this is valuable stuff. I don't know anything else better to invest in than yourself. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of gurus out there who have a lot of answers. These things are not about giving you answers. They're about giving you data that you can come up with your own answers for. You know, that's how I approach this stuff. So I very much appreciate your work on this, Dr. Wills, and uh, I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. So thank you for all this. Thanks. And one last resource that came to mind, which was highly influential, especially for relationships, if you want to go deeper and connect emotionally with your partner, I do recommend Emotionally Focused Therapy to Everybody and Their Dog by the researcher, the therapist, Sue Johnson. It's based on attachment theory, but EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is really scientifically proven to get the best results at helping us connect with each other emotionally. Oh, big time. Absolutely. That was one of the things, in fact, that we looked into as a treatment modality for uh, people in recovery from cultic or coercive control experiences. You know, because, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you, you cannot deal with all this stuff at just an emotional or, sorry, at an intellectual level. And, and expect to get somewhere. The idea, you know, in other words, you come out of Scientology as an example, right? Yeah, it's something everybody will get. You come out of Scientology, Xenu, Engrams, the reactive mind, all these words, all these dictionaries, all this knowledge. Okay, it's all false, fine, move on, right? And you think you're recovered. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know? No, 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 no. That's just the start. Right. Acknowledging the bullshit. Great. Good job. There's not enough people who even do that step. But 
let's not kid ourselves. We've got some emotions to process here, you know, and, right. uh, and emotion focused therapy is, is really, really great for that. All right. Well, again, thank you very much for taking the time today. And I do look forward to being on your podcast as well in a couple of weeks. So that'll be fun. Thank you. Can't wait to have you. Thanks for having me. It's been great again. Awesome. All right, guys. Now, folks out there, uh, you know, the show is, uh, if you've enjoyed it, if it's been entertaining, informative, and educational for you, which I hope it is, then I hope you will consider supporting this channel and the show through Patreon or PayPal or Venmo, uh, especially Patreon. The long-term supporters of this channel are the ones who are keeping it going, period, end of story. The only reason I'm continuing to be here doing this is because of you guys. So I want to encourage you to support the channel and keep me going. And on that happy note, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.